fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Right, come on then. Let's do your last podcast for November before we get into the final month of, frankly, what's been a crazy year. Here's what's coming up on today's show. They need to be aware of your interest at the time when they're ready to sell. I'll also tell you later on about a fantastic free marketing resource that already more than 1,000 MSPs are using. We'll have Chris Tim on, he's the PSA expert, and he's got not just one, but two book suggestions for you today. Plus, we'll be talking about the proper way to brief a virtual assistant. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. So I was talking to a brand new MSP client. I started working with just a few weeks ago. And one of my usual opening questions is, of course, how do you currently get clients for your business? And this particular MSP had just one way of getting new clients, which was referrals. And it wasn't a formal referral system. It was actually kind of a a sit back and wait for clients to turn up kind of system in that they were really good at what they do. Their clients love them. And it seems that around about every couple of months or so, one of their existing clients refers someone new to them, which is great except you are not in control of that in any way whatsoever. And also that's only one way of getting new clients into the business. And we started talking about something that I learned years and years ago from a marketer called Jay Abraham. Now, if you've never looked at Jay Abraham's stuff, he's worth he's very much worth a Google. Jay Abraham is, uh, you might be offended to hear me say this, but he's very much the grandfather of uh, marketing today, of all marketing really that's done by businesses like hours. He taught all of the greats. So any great marketer that you look at has either been taught directly by Jay Abraham or has been taught by one of his protégés. Personally, I've spent, oh, I must be getting on for, you know, a, a $10,000, $20,000 on Jay Abraham's stuff over the years. I've bought loads of his audio courses back when they used to be cassettes and CDs. I once bought his hard drive. It wasn't one that had been stolen from him. It was like a, a thing where they were selling the, you know, the unlimited contents of his laptop. And it was every single course he'd done and every single recording. And for a couple of years, you know, that was, that was a lot of audio stuff. I was listening to that in the car and I learned so much from that. In fact, just talking about that makes me think I should get that hard drive out again and give it another listen. Because every time you listen to Jay Abraham talk or you read his stuff, you learn something new and it's proper, good, direct response marketing stuff. And one of his basic principles that he teaches is the Power Parthenon philosophy. Now, I'm never going to explain it as well as Jay Abraham does. But essentially, if you think of the Parthenon, so you think of a, a great big I don't know, Greek, Roman building, whatever the Parthenon is. And you imagine that the roof is being held up by one pillar. And let's imagine that pillar is referrals, like we were just talking about with my MSP client. Well, that makes that roof rather precarious. You've got that one pillar in the middle, the roof could easily topple over. That's not a particularly good way of keeping it. So at the very least, you want a second way of bringing new clients into the business. And that means you'd have a pillar either side. So now your roof is more stable. But what if you put in another two, 
three or four more pillars, like the Parthenon. You go and Google Parthenon and you see a building with lots of different pillars. And this is what you need for your marketing. Yes, referrals are great because people turn up almost ready to buy, but you also need to do some list building. You need to have an email database. You need to be mining LinkedIn. You need to be doing some online advertising. You need to be doing some direct mail. You absolutely need to be doing outbound telephoning, not tele sales, but telephoning. You also need to be doing They Ask, You Answer, which is the book on content marketing. And it's the right long-term strategy for your MSP to have an inbound content marketing strategy. It just takes a few years to get there. See, all of these are pillars. They're all pillars of your marketing because some of these things won't work. You might have a couple of months where your online advertising isn't working. In fact, we've had that recently. We switched to a new online advertising strategy and our money has not been delivering results for the last month or so. So yeah, we've wasted some money on advertising and we've certainly discovered some more ways not to do online advertising, but that hasn't brought the business down to its knees in one month because it's one of just many things that we do. We have many, many pillars. You should do exactly the same thing. So so that when one of those pillars goes away, whether that is temporarily or whether that is permanently, it doesn't matter. You've got other pillars to stop the building from collapsing. I mean, just look at COVID. COVID has pretty much wiped out events. Any MSP that I've been working with who was overly reliant on networking, on going to their weekly BNI or whatever meeting they're going to, has found that you cannot get the kind of referrals out of doing Zoom versions of networking as you can from meeting people in a room. And that was quite a wake-up call for people who were overly reliant on networking, quite understandably. You can't have just networking as your only pillar. You've got to have multiple pillars for your MSP. So the first thing for you to do is to figure out how many pillars do you have in place right now? And you know, having a website is not a pillar. A pillar is proactive action. If you have a human being picking up the phone on your behalf, that is a pillar. If you have someone sending out stuff in the post to leads and to prospects, that is a pillar. If you're directly driving traffic and you're spending either time or money driving traffic to your website, that is a pillar. So just having a website in itself isn't a pillar, but proactively driving traffic to it is a pillar. Start by listing all of the marketing pillars that you've got for your MSP. And then once you've done that, you can see if you have enough. Someone's inevitably at some point going to say to me, how many pillars should I have? And the answer is as many strong pillars as you can maintain. We must have somewhere between six and seven strong, proactive, constantly maintained pillars going into our business. And that's a lot of work. You know, a lot of my team and a lot of my personal time is spent on marketing our business because that's the right thing to do. If you've only got a couple of pillars right now, you'd be much better off focusing all of your attention on generating four strong pillars than having six or seven weak pillars. So you definitely want those pillars to be strong. But whatever you do, if you're looking at your pillars and you're thinking, oh my goodness, we are very, very reliant on this and on that and that's it, then as a matter of priority, and perhaps this is a good January project for you, you should be setting up new pillars of marketing within your MSP. Here's this week's clever idea. 
Back in episode 41, which was back in August, I told you that I'd got a full-time VA, virtual assistant. Uh, it was the same kind of time I was telling you about Timeula, which is the time tracker that I'd been using and how essentially I'd completely revolutionized uh, my time and what I was doing within the business again. It's one of those lessons that you seem to need to keep learning, or certainly I do. Well, since then, I've hired a second VA. In fact, there are now three VAs working within my business, all doing very specific things functions. And it's been wonderful because I've been able to really accelerate doing the things that really only I can do, such as this podcast. This podcast takes me hours and hours to record and set up the interviews and all of that kind of stuff. But really, only I can do that. Whereas anyone in the business can answer basic emails, asking for copies of invoices and answering repeated questions and all of that kind of stuff. And that's what the virtual assistants are doing. Now, I've discovered since August how to effectively brief virtual assistants because the people that we've got on board, are amazing. They really are amazing. We've been very, very lucky with the quality of the people that we've been able to attract into the business. And I did use an agency, so maybe luck had nothing to do with it. It's just the agency's done a good job and we've worked very closely with that agency. But you really do get better results when you brief your virtual assistant properly. And what I've discovered is that you need to almost over-brief them. You see, the problem is when you and I brief someone to do something on our behalf, we, without thinking about it, assume that they have the same information that we do. So we know in our heads that we want to get something done in a very, very specific way and there's a specific outcome that we would like. And because we've had sometimes days, weeks, maybe even months to think about this, we assume that that full and complete knowledge that's in our head is going to be in their head as well. Because surely it's obvious, right? Surely everyone should think like us, but they don't. They really don't. In fact, if I was to ask your staff, what's the number one frustration in their lives? They would say it's when you get annoyed with them for not doing something you haven't asked them to do and you didn't tell them how you wanted it to be done. We all do this as business owners. We're absolute nightmares. We're monsters to work for. We really are. So when you brief a virtual assistant, I believe you need to do that brief in two or three ways. And yes, this will seem like overkill, but I promise you this gets the best outcomes. Well, it gets the least number of questions and it gets the best outcome. So when I'm going to brief a virtual assistant, I will first of all sit down and figure out exactly what do I want them to do and how do I want them to do it. And I actually sit down with a piece of paper, you remember paper, and a pen, which is like an inky thing that you use to put marks on the paper. And I've just found it easier to sit down and kind of dump my brain onto that piece of paper and think, right, when I do this job, or if I was going to do this job, how would I do it? What would I do? How would I set that out? What order would I do that? I dump all the things down on a bit of paper. Then I sort of move them around. I order them. I will number them in sequence until I've got a very, very clear idea of how the job should be done. Then I will write a specific brief. And that specific brief starts with some context. Now, the context is absolutely everything. So let's imagine, for example, I'm briefing my virtual assistant to send a specific letter to a specific client in a specific way. Just pick that one as an example. So I will start with a bit of context and I will say, hi name, 
This is an exercise that we do once every month in the business because, and I'll explain why we're sending the letter. So it could be that this is a sales tool or it might be a follow-up piece or it might be a customer satisfaction piece or something like that. But I'll tell them in quite a lot of detail, and remember this is a written brief, exactly what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. Because I've discovered when you give, in fact, this goes for any staff, when you give context, and you explain why we're doing something and why is that critical word, they really understand the importance of it and they understand why it needs to be done in such a specific way. So having set out the context, I then set out the outcome. And I'll say that the outcome for this is that this letter set out in this particular way arrives at this specific client on this specific date. So they now have an understanding of exactly what it is that I want and they have an exact understanding of what I consider success to be, what the outcome should be. This in itself is a major achievement. If you could do this every single time you brief anyone to do anything, that would be a very, very powerful thing. Then I list the steps in order and I will literally, there might be five or 10 different steps, but I will lay it out in order. It's not quite a checklist, but it's a numbered set of steps and there's a level of detail that you don't need to get into. So if, for example, I'll say log into the CRM, then if I know that they know how to log into the CRM, I don't provide extra instructions. If it's something that they haven't done regularly or they've never done before, then I might link that to a separate standard operating procedure, which tells them how to log into the CRM. What you don't want is to have every single step explained in every single way, because that's just too tiring but I'll make sure there's enough detail in each of those steps that they can literally follow that through step by step by step by step and they will reach the outcome that I have asked for. So essentially, I'm taking away the thinking work from the VA. Now, I'm not doing that for any offensive reason. These are very intelligent people who are very good at what they do, but I don't want there to be any ambiguity whatsoever. I want this job to be done in a very specific way, the way that I want it to be done. Now, the next thing I'll do, and this seems overkill, but trust me, this really makes a difference, is once I've reviewed the set of instructions, I'll then film a video of me doing the instructions. So I will literally go through my own instructions, recording my screen and talking about what I'm doing and go through the instructions. Now, I realize that at this point you might be thinking, but Paul, this is going to take so much time. Maybe I should just do the job myself. But you're missing the key point here. They're going to go and do a brilliant job first time without coming back to you with any questions because you have briefed them thoroughly. And obviously this works really well when it's a repeatable task that someone's doing again and again. But even if it isn't, even if it's just a one-off task, that's just not something you personally really need to be doing. Videoing yourself going through those instructions adds more context, it gives them more confidence, and you'd be surprised how often you get to one of those instructions and you realize that you really haven't explained it as well as you could have done. And it's only in the video where you can actually really truly explain it. Now, I personally put all of these briefs into our project management software. We use something called Basecamp.com, which is quite a lovely piece of software, actually, and very affordable. But whichever project management software you use, or even if you just pop it into OneNote, you can do a brief like this where everything just goes into one place. It's a very, very powerful way of briefing a virtual assistant or, in fact, any member of your resources team to get stuff done so that you personally 
don't have to do it. Paul's blatant plug. More than a thousand MSPs are already part of this community and you are very welcome to come and join them. It's the MSP Marketing Facebook group. It's my group, which I've been running for a number of years now. We hit a thousand members earlier on this year and that's a thousand MSPs because this is a vendor free zone. It's where MSPs can come and talk about marketing and growing their business in a very safe environment. I'm there every day with loads of advice and information and free resources to help you grow your MSP. So come along and join. All you've got to do is fire up your Facebook, type in MSP Marketing up at the top, go on to Groups and you can apply to join for there. There will be a short delay as my team vets you and checks that you are an MSP and not a vendor in disguise. But once you're in, it's an amazing resource and I'd love to see you there and have a chat with you about growing your business. The big interview. I'm Daniel Welling, former MSP, business owner, turns consultant to the stars, and most recently, M&A expert. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, Daniel. M&A, or mergers and acquisitions, put another way, buying someone else's business. Now, just before the interview, you were telling me that there are loads and loads of MSPs looking to buy a competitor right now, but there are only a small number of MSPs that are actually up for sale. Correct. And thus, thus the logjam in the market. So are you seeing right now lots and lots of buyers going after those small number of people who are ready to sell up? Absolutely. And I think the challenge for, for those wanting to buy is, is actually identifying who might be for sale. And of course, within that, they have to identify the MSP market to begin with, within their chosen geography or market sector. Most MSPs listening to this conversation will probably have had some kind of approach recently from another MSP or someone representing an MSP looking, looking to acquire. But do you think this is a good time to acquire? Because obviously we're in the middle of COVID. We can all see that there's going to be a disrupted economy next year. If you were running an MSP again right now, would you be looking to grow through acquisition? There's never a good or bad time, I would say, to, uh, to, to consider an acquisition. There's been impact to the market, both positive and negative. The MSP sector, I, I think, collectively considers itself very lucky during 2020 that it's been one of the more resilient of industries. Those businesses that are surviving and thriving all need IT, management, support, guidance, uh, change, to adapt their business, so uh, so the MSP has has become as as indispensable as as any uh, any other service provider that they work with. So you've advised a number of MSPs through identifying a target and then acquiring that target. Start at the beginning and tell us how do you go and find someone that could be up for sale. The the method I would use is is very similar to acquiring end user clients. So identify what your niche is, consider the geographical location is pr probably the, the, the primary as the buyer will be considering the practicality of integrating their business with the target. So being close by has uh, uh, has an advantage to that. They're then going to consider the size of the, uh, of the target. Realistically, there will be some constraints around the, uh, the funding they have available or the finance that they can range to, uh, raise to, to fund the uh, the purchase. So therefore, uh, you know they don't want to be talking to a five million pound uh, MSP if they can only afford a five hundred thousand pound MSP. And there therein lies the first activity is to effectively profile the, the businesses within those constraints. And that's that's good old fashioned desk research, as there there are very few 
uh, data sources that are complete and sufficiently targeted to start from. So I guess from what you said there, then it's a case of looking to see who's out there and then approaching them. And I guess you're trying to find people who are at the right point at which they they want to get out. Maybe the business isn't doing so well, or maybe they're ill, or there's a divorce coming up or something like that. Do you tend to see it's those kind of triggers that make people sell the business? Or is it typically a planned event? I would say in the in the larger end of the market, it's very much a planned event. Um, in, in the most part. So they, they have a probably more than one shareholder that, that effectively they're balancing the, the needs and desires of, uh, of all the shareholders in terms of the, the number they want to exit with and the point in time that they want to exit, very often driven by other lifestyle factors such as retirement or wanting to live abroad, for example. At the smaller end of the market, it is going to be more, probably less planned, more emotional, more volatile. So you probably won't have a yes, we're going to exit definitely in uh, uh, in month six of, of of year five. It could be any point or never in in reality. But uh, but yeah, the uh, the kind of lifestyle events will dictate the exit at the smaller end. So what are some of the most common mistakes you see MSPs making when they do look to acquire a business? probably just just misunderstanding the sales process and as i alluded to earlier this is effectively lead generation so uh, you don't know when uh, when a target client end user client is is necessarily going to going to look to change their their msp it could be could be triggered by the incumbent dropping the ball in the same way as uh, an mna opportunity might be triggered by uh, by by a divorce or a or a life life changing illness for example so eff- effectively that the first mistake is is not being in it for the long term or the long game, I should say. Having profiled who you might want to buy, you then have to begin to approach those targets, ideally engage in discussion with them, perhaps even not not immediately around the topic of, of M&A, similar to the uh, the opinions on, on LinkedIn connections that, you know, you shouldn't LinkedIn to someone and then immediately start selling to them. The same is true here. They need to be aware of your interest at the time that it's right for them to consider an exit. This is not a, I think I'm going to go out and buy a business. Business. This is a how are we going to over the next one, two, three, four, five years build ourselves a pipeline of M&A opportunities and ensure that we're sat in front of them when when they're ready to sell. I love this because it's a marketing approach. It's a marketing approach to mergers and acquisitions because you're essentially looking to build a database of people that could sell at some point, build a relationship with them, and then be there at the exact moment that they're ready to sell. And that's the exact three step system that I recommend to MSPs for their marketing. You know build a database of prospects, build a relationship with them and be there at exactly the right moment that they're ready to buy. You're quite right. And um, therefore, it's got to be a consistent process. And you could probably then look to either hints and tips around how you would normally advise your um, your listeners on, on client acquisition. So it's being consistent, it's um, educating, building the relationship and making sure that you do keep the process going. If you consider the ways in which you you approach end users, if you can mirror that as close as you can to uh, to the M and A process, you'll you'll probably 
not go far wrong. So a blend of education and relationship building. And I guess we've got to remember that in the same way that people buy from people, not businesses, at the kind of level that we're talking about here, people sell to people. In fact, I remember when I sold my niche healthcare marketing business back in 2016, we had three offers and the offer that I picked wasn't actually the financially best offer. It wasn't the one that put the most money in my pocket. It was actually based on the relationship I'd built up with the guy who wanted to buy my business. And the overall package was better. The money was a little bit down, but I believed and it turned out I was wrong, but I believed he would be a good custodian of my business and you know he would keep it going and look after my team and look after the clients and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, this makes absolutely perfect sense, Daniel. Tell us where we can find out more about you and get in touch with you. So uh, my website is wellinmsp.com. As you'd imagine, plenty of uh, calls to action on the site and you'll often find me, especially uh, once we're allowed to, you'll often find me at the bar at uh, MSP events and uh, always always happy for a uh, for a beer or a coffee if it's the, the morning um, with, uh, with anyone that would like to talk. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hello, my name is Chris Tim from Sandela Consulting. I'd actually like to recommend two books if I can, please, Paul. The first one is The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger. He's the CEO of Disney Corporation, and the book goes through kind of how he started right at the bottom and worked his way all the way up to being the CEO of the most successful entertainment company during his tenure. Companies like Lucasfilms, Pixar, Marvel, those kind of things were were acquired during his tenure. So really, really good book. The other one I'd like to recommend is Never Split the Difference by uh, Chris Voss, one of my favorite books of the year, all about negotiating as if your life depended on it. So two really good books. I hope that helps. Thanks. How to contribute to the show. Every week I get a couple of emails from people who've been listening to the podcast and often they're people I've never heard from before. So if you've been a long time listener or this is your first episode and you want to just have a quick chat with me, literally just a hello, thank you for the podcast on email or ask me a question about growing your MSP, I'll be delighted to talk to you. You can get hold of me at this email address, hello at paulgreensmspmarketing.com. Coming up next week. As crazy as that trend sounds, is a lot of MSPs don't know how to market. That's Steve Taylor from Rocket MSP, and he's joining me on the show next week to talk about some of the MSP marketing trends that he's seeing out in the marketplace right now. We're also going to be talking about how to tackle the unique problem of your technicians asking you stupid questions. They may be very competent at what they do, but perhaps don't have the confidence or the ability to just crack on with it themselves. How do you train them and help them understand that the answer is within them without getting annoyed with them and without wasting your time? I've got a very clever method for you, which I'll explain in next week's show. We're also going to get a little bit, not dark, but we're going to get a little bit realistic by talking about how many weeks you have left on this planet. I'll give you a sneaky preview of that. It's around about 4,000 weeks. And a couple of weeks ago, I bought a poster, which now sits up in my office, which reminds me how few weeks I've got left of my life, especially as I get to the end of another week and I fill in another box and I realize another valuable week has gone by. It's an utterly, utterly sobering way of living your life. And I'll tell you next week all about it and how you can get a poster just like that as well. See you in next week's show. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.